Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Old Gods of Appalachia is a horror anthology podcast and thus may contain material not suitable for all audiences. So listener discretion is advised. The Bad Death and Resurrection of Annie Messer An Interlude The flies on Carol Ann Avery's face shifted and waved like a mourner's veil. The wind had set her to turning. Cletus and Annie Messer arrived at the Avery place to find it ravaged by violence and unspeakable darkness. The only sound outside the flies was the creaking of the branch as Carol Ann stared unseeingly down at the pair of them. Annie Messer was stunned in the blessed silence for a moment before tears filled her eyes and she babbled and cried. Oh, my Lord, Cletus. I've never seen anything like this. This poor family. Oh, my Lord. Where's Sarah? We gotta find Sarah. Oh, my God. You reckon we were to cut her down? I mean, we have to cut her down, right? It's the right thing to do. We, we can't just leave her up there. 
The ride from Barlow to Goshen Creek should have taken a couple of hours and a slow cart at best, but Annie Messer insisted on stopping once for prayer beside a particularly pretty waterfall and again to make water herself, and she never was a woman for traveling in a straight line to begin with. But then she started to swear they were being watched, which of course required them to stop for even more prayer. But she wasn't wrong, though. Cletus would have swore they were being followed, but not followed exactly. Tracked. Hunted. He picked up on the sound shortly after they left Barlow proper, and the first few times he turned his head, he expected to see men on horseback or at least a cart like theirs emerging from the woods as the ground spoke and thick branches bent and groaned as something massive pushed through them. Every time they stopped and looked or even took cover in a bunch of trees to see if who or whatever would pass them, there was nothing. No one. As they grew closer to Goshen Creek, Cletus went cold. The voices had begun to speak again. They told Cletus not to worry, but this was all part of their vision. Bringing them the Avery girl would absolutely guarantee his family's safety. Just bring her. Bring her. Bring her. The voices almost howled with ecstasy now that they stood here on the far side of the creek. In the shadow of Pinky Avery's late wife, the air was barely breathable. For Carol Ann had emptied herself after departing her body, a dark stain marked the ground, and from that stain a cancerous black sludge spread. It grew and spread like a fungus, pungent and ripe with the smell of spoilt meat. It climbed the trunks and nearby trees and had begun to creep up the steps of the Avery cabin. The yard itself was a different sort of horror. The ground was gouged and slashed. In places it looked like things with great clawed feet had pushed off from the soft earth, leaving ragged craters filled with a putrid, bile-colored ichor. What's worse, tiny things swam in those pus-clouded depths. And the thought of what might live in there made Cletus want to scream until his heart gave out. The door to the cabin was in splinters. The glass of the window panes lay in a thousand broken whimpers on the desecrated front room floor. Piles of some sort of animal scat littered the floor and were smeared across the bare walls. Blind, white things, too large to be called maggots, moved among that nightmare of filth and stench. What furniture had been in the room was kindling now. The down of pillows and blankets stuck matted with the foul waste to the walls and floor. Something or someone had tore through this house and befouled it. Someone or something had been looking for Sarah Avery. Sarah Avery, who made the voices practically salivate. Sarah Avery, who he wouldn't know if he saw her because her family never come to church and who never got saved nor baptized. Sarah Avery, who was just a little girl. and Thankfully, Sarah Avery, who was not here. 
Between the voice's rapturous approval of his presence here at the Avery homestead and the yammering of Annie Messer, who honestly could not shut up if you paid her good money, Cletus's head was about to bust. But suddenly, Annie Messer's voice fell silent along with the voices that had been rattling inside of Cletus's thoughts. The change was jarring and Cletus spun to see what was going on. Annie was staring at a spot just beyond the corner of the cabin where something massive and nothing at all seemed to compete to occupy the same space at the same time. Cletus squinted hard at it. It was like his eyes wanted to see whatever it was that Annie was staring at, but his mind wouldn't let him. Light bent and shimmered and refused to show the shape of whatever was staring Annie Messer down. From behind him, the ground squelched and thrummed as something heavy dropped from the branches of a nearby tree. Cletus turned as quick as he could to see what was there, to see what had followed them over a too long wagon ride for most of a day without ever once being seen. But before he truly understood what was happening, the voices in his head, no, a singular voice this time, the voice in his head had growled a word louder than any whisper it had ever used to speak to him, and it felt like his head was indeed split open as he screamed and clenched his eyes and fell back to the ground. And when he opened them, he wished he'd been born blind. What had dropped from the tree, what had followed and stalked them all day, and what had apparently just charged him with the might and speed of a draft horse lay sprawled on the ground, fully visible. Cletus saw it. I wish to God he hadn't, but what can you do? If he had to compare it to anything, it might have been a dog or maybe a wolf, except its hide was strangely hairless, its skin a pale blue and visibly soft like that of a drowned child. It had at least six legs and the tangle of limbs on its lower half, each one ending in thick black claws that seemed to retract like a cat's. Well, they'd have to, he thought. There's no way it could walk otherwise. And Then he looked closer at its legs. Each limb was covered in eyes, brown with bloodshot whites, green with scarlet blobs floating around the iris, milky white and sightless orbs that seemed to pant like open mouths, and a pair of scarlet ones that smoldered and throbbed a sick blood clot brown. His body was thick and broad like a boar. His head was that of a hairless wolf or Something wolf-like, but with nightmarishly wrong tusks growing from the underside of its jaws. Its ears were wide and bat-like. Its brow held three eyes, two that looked black and empty, and one like a burning golden sun in the center of its forehead. Its maw was an endless valley of blades and spires, some that looked like teeth, and others like cruelly sharpened stones. Its tongue hung from its limp jaws, long and black and forked, smoke or steam rising from where the viscous rope met the cooling rotten air. 
His breathing was ragged but was beginning to steady. Before Cletus could react, the thing was on its feet, tongue retracted behind that cave-in of a mouth, and it was staring at him, the tip of the tongue now scenting the air like a snake, that center eye locked on his face, and again, the solitary voice in Cletus's head spoke a word he did not understand, but was clearly a command. The low thing in front of him cowered. It is a dog. He thought, it's one of their dogs, and I think it just got told. Without warning, the thing leapt past Cletus and into the woods, its body vanishing back into the shimmer of unsight that seemed to be its natural state. He turned to see if Annie Messer had seen it too, and remembered she had been staring in the opposite direction. She stood, rooted in the same spot where he'd left her. So he called her name, but she didn't answer he called again and began to walk towards her and realized that she was shaking, twitching, seizing as if she were having a fit, but she did not fall over, and as Cletus got closer, he saw why. From a blur at the edge of the cabin, an impossibly long black tongue issued forth from seemingly nowhere and had latched onto Annie Messer's eyes and face. Its tongue was, in fact, forked, and each point was lodged deep and working deeper into Annie Messer's eye sockets. There was a sound like frying eggs. If Annie was screaming, Cletus could not hear her. Her hair began to smolder, and her body began to wilt, the smell of rot and sickness growing thicker. And suddenly, without warning, this second thing flickered into being. It was twice the size and thickness and height of its kin. This one stood on its four back legs as it held up the other two as if in prayer, and then it roared and snapped its head and all six legs to the earth, pulling and retracting its tongue in the same movement, whiplashing Annie face first into the swamp of the yard. Her neck and spine audibly shattering with the sound of a tree fall in winter. The thing lowered its head and leaned in to tear into Annie's corpse when Cletus yelled. The word that came from his mouth was not a word he understood or that his mouth even knew how to properly shape, but the message was communicated. He stood between the monster and its meal and held out a single hand and the word came again, lower more threatening this time. And the larger thing considered him, deadly tongue tentatively slithering forward, then retracting as if sensing something foul. And in the distance, its companion's cry gave notice. It gave Cletus one last look up and down, and then leapt into the woods beneath a cloak of bending light. Cletus went to Annie's body then and turned her over. Her face was a ruin, ripped from forehead to cheekbone. Her eye sockets had been cooked dry and cauterized by the digging tips of the thing's tongue. Her neck and spine had been shattered into a bag of bloody gravel. Cletus had had enough. If those things were their dogs, what was he? 
Was he anything better or more than a monster leading innocent men and women and, good Lord, now children to death and damnation? What had he become? Well, he was done. That's what he'd become. With effort, he loaded Annie's shattered body onto the cart, shocked to find that their mule was just standing idly there as if nothing had happened. He settled everything up and headed back along the road to Barlow, saying a prayer for Sarah Avery that those things never found her and that their paths would never, ever cross. When Cletus made it back to the schoolhouse, it was late afternoon. The sun came dazzling through the leaves of the trees, and it was peaceful and quiet and gentle. Cletus almost took an easy breath, but then he saw tracks in the schoolyard. His heart jumped, thinking he was looking at six-legged tracks with unnatural claw marks, but he looked closer. He counted only four. But until today, he would have said these were the most fearsome tracks he'd ever seen because they would mean that the largest bear ever to walk these hills walked right into the yard of the schoolhouse. He saw no sign of a bear, though, and proceeded to unload Annie's corpse into the one place she'd ever known happiness, where it could await the same fate destined for the rest of Barlow, a baptism of vengeance and fire and dust. As Cletus settled Annie in the back of the room, the voices, who had been constant in a steady hum since they saw the tracks outside, kept repeating the same phrase over and over. First you rise, then you clean her, prepare her for the fire. First you rise, then you clean her, prepare her for the fire. Cletus laughed. For the first time in years, he laughed a real hard belly laugh that shook him to the bones. Your dog killed her. Clean her yourself, you goddamn haints. He winced, expecting punishment, expecting the black lung to rise and choke him for his defiance to undo the seven years given him, but nothing came. The voices repeated the phrase three more times and then faded from Cletus's mind. Cletus shrugged it off and set to closing up the school and heading off to find his wife and family to finally get them the hell out of Barlow. And in his rush, he never noticed the sleeping form of a young girl in a far corner, completely exhausted and covered by shadows in a picnic blanket taken from Miss Annie's desk. An hour later, Annie Messer rose. She'd heard the instructions given her before the messenger had left, taking the voices with him. She led herself by sound and sight now, for blessed darkness be her eyes now, praise. And she found the bucket of water she'd brought in from the well that morning, along with the clean rag beside it. She made her way over to Sarah Avery's sleeping body. She'd need to be cleaned up. She'd need to be comforted. She needed to be ready. Annie hummed as she worked, washing the mud and dirt from between Sarah's toes and off her feet and legs and arms and shoulders and from her lovely young face, picking out briars and bits of weeds from her hair, humming and humming until she felt the girl stir, start to rouse. She knew it wouldn't be long now.
How are we, family? It's good to see y'all. Looks like we're learning some things after all. Found out how those boys got up and done what they did. Found out how Cletus Garvin got there. And now we found out what happened to poor Miss Annie. Only a few more things to learn before our time in Barlow comes to an end, but don't you worry. We got a little bit to go. We're not ready to go home just yet. Old Gods of Appalachia is a production of Deep Nerd Media. Today's interlude was written and performed by Steve Shell. The voice of Miss Annie was Allison Mullins. Today's outro music is by Those Poor Bastards. Family, have you truly found your way home yet? Are you following us through the darkness on Facebook and Instagram as Old Gods of Appalachia? Are you tweeting into the void to us at Old Gods Pod? Are you following us, family? Are you following us truly and closely? And family, let me ask you a question. Have you been to the Fellowship Hall? Have you found the coffee by the window that's not really a window? And the food that's by the alternate wall that's neither alternate nor a wall? We even installed extra seating on the patio. We just don't suggest sitting out there after the sun gone down. I am, of course, talking about the Fellowship Hall group for Old Gods of Appalachia on Facebook. I know that's old person social media, but hey, things move a little bit slowly in the mountains. What can we say? If you're a Facebook user, please come find us. Our numbers swelled to over 400 members just this past week, and it grows by the day. We have discussions. We answer questions. Sometimes there are contests, and... uh, Some fun offers thrown up in there first before anybody else sees them. That's the Old Gods of Appalachia Fellowship Hall group over on Facebook. And family, if you would truly like a closer walk with the old gods that sleep beneath, consider forsaking some of your own worldly wealth and becoming a patron on our Patreon where we can unlock the secrets of the universe and provide you with apparel and treasures and gifts an exclusive, exclusive bonus, sometimes personalized material. Consider joining us, family. www.patreon.com slash Appalachia. There's more exciting stuff coming up on Patreon very soon. We're almost set to announce our exclusive patrons-only storyline. Episodes of a special subset of the show that will be exclusive to patrons of $10 and up. Think about it. www patreon.com slash old gods of Appalachia. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.